from deep inside your audio device of choice. We're going to be hitting zero this week, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if you're going to notice that, but that's uh, that's my service to you. I, for one, find it almost impossible to believe that this week began with the 4th of July. It just seems like about a month ago, doesn't it? And yet here we are, six days later, uh, a week in which it has been demoted to um, second, third, fourth, fifth rank in the in our memory files, that uh, the good news for a presidential candidate in the United States is that the head of the FBI accused her of extreme carelessness with national security material. That's the, that, that was the good news. They were celebrating that. Um, but so much else has happened about which, gee, not enough has been said, don't you think? I'm going to say only two things. Uh, first of all, it, uh, it did gl- gladden me a little bit to hear on Friday's edition of To The Point, a, another public radio broadcast, a, a professor being interv- interviewed about what's gone on this week in the United States, pointing out the uh, essentialness, if that's a word, of understanding the history embodied in a book and television program called Slavery by Another Name. If you're not familiar with either, you should check them out. The headline of the work is simply that there was a program of so-called convict leasing in the southern United States that went on from the end of the Civil War to the beginning of World War II, a, a particularly interesting period of time in American history. Um, and it, it just leads inexorably through the war on drugs and what we've seen now to a situation where Families are being deprived of black men over and over and over again through the decades for by one way by one means or another and the other thing I'll say is that um I was in the most you, you could call it fortuitous but but goofily fortuitous circumstance once uh, in, in a conversation with a gentleman by the name of Stacy Kuhn. Contra to what Jesse Jackson said on television this morning, somebody did go to jail after the Rodney King incident, and that somebody was Stacy Kuhn. And um, we, had, we had a little conversation. Um, and, and the uh, thing he said, which seems, again, like slavery by another name, something just to keep in mind, is you should have seen what happened before the camera went on. Having said that, I can only uh, add that what this country needs is a national conversation about race, just like the one we had last summer. Hello, welcome to the show.
te beber, beberá que nem água de coco. O cheiro de querer, camará, é perfume no corpo que nem água de coco. Beberá, é perfume no corpo, camará. Pra quem é bem chegado, se lavar. Pra quem chega cansado, oxalá. Água de beber, beberá que nem água de coco. O cheiro de querer, camará. Mais bonita não tem choro nem dor Mais bonita não tem choro nem dor Como é bom viver Água de bebê, beberá Que nem água de coco com você Cheiro de querer, camarada É perfume no corpo Que nem água de coco beberá É perfume no corpo, camarada Pra quem é bem chegado, se lavar Pra quem chega cansado, oxalá Pra quem gosta do vento, vitará
from New Orleans, Louisiana, just by Lake Pontchartrain. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. Speaking of Brazil and Agua... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole Jr. In the words of the San Diego desk, don't I, tu- don't I turn your white boats brown? Dateline Rio de Janeiro, a new pollution problem has surfaced in Guanabara Bay the venue for sailing in the Rio Olympics. Sailors complained this week about an oil slick that turned white boats brown. Crews were in town practicing for the Olympics, which opened in a month. We've never seen anything like this. It was all over the place, said a Finnish sailor. There was no way you could avoid it. Another in a long list of problems confronting Brazil's games, Zika, rising crime and violence, budget cuts, others that we'll mention. Games opening with the Brazilian president in, in impeachment trial. Brazil in a deep recession. The, According to the sailor, the slick filled part of the bay a week ago, staling her, staining her boat from bow to stern. It's only our second time in Rio, said the sailor, who's qualified in the 49er FX class. You know that class. We've heard it was really bad. You get mud. You get mad because it shouldn't be like this anywhere. It shouldn't be this dirty. But there's nothing we can do about it. Her sailing partner said other sailors told her, quote, Your boat looks like a toilet. It's not unusual for huge international sporting events like the Olympics to have official sponsors. The upcoming Summer Olympics will mark the first time any Olympics game has had an official insect repellent, according to Condé Nast Traveler. The Rio Games has signed a deal to make off its official bug spray band. This is after some athletes, including golfer Rory McIlroy and Steph Curry of the Warriors, skipping the Olympics out of concern for their health or the health of their partners. So go to the Olympics, get off. There uh, are fears of uh, the expanded security presence in Rio will contribute to more police-involved killings in a city with few legal resources for low-income residents. Concerns reflected in a new report by Amnesty International condemning the forced evictions, police violence, and restrictions of civil liberties pervasive in Rio as the city readies itself for the Olympics. The report claims the city's previous experiences hosting mega-events and its history of police violence indicate the upcoming games could lead to an increase in human rights abuses, particularly among the low-income residents of the favelas. Slums. Well, favelas. Two researchers from the, uh, three researchers from the business school at Oxford have published a study concluding that Rio spent $4.6 billion to put on the Olympics, $1.6 billion more than their budget, a 51% overshoot. This is less than the usual cost to put on a Summer Olympics. Far less than the furthest any city has gone over budget. Montreal went 720% over in 1976. All games without exception have cost overruns. For no other type of mega project is this the case, says the study. For other project types, typically 10 to 20% of projects come in on or under budget. For the Olympics, it's 0%. The average Olympics goes 156% over budget, says the study. 
Given the above results, says the study, for a city and nation to decide to stage the Olympic Games is to decide to take on one of the most costly and financially most risky type of mega projects that exists. Something that many cities and nations have learned to their peril. It's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. But wait, there's more about the Olympics. One more item. Music didn't go long enough. Mr. Williams, Mr. Williams, your music didn't go long enough. Um, this from the British newspaper, The Independent. Four weeks before the Olympic opening ceremony, airfares and hotel rates during the Games have plummeted. As a bonus, tens of thousands of tickets for Olympics events are still unsold with prices as low as $12. Research by the Independent show, uh, shows airfares below 1,000 pounds. That's about, well, it's close to $1,000 now. Are widely available from Heathrow and other U.K. airports before and during the Olympics. The uh, attention is on Rio, of course, which means other cities in Brazil are bargains. But tens of thousands of event event tickets remain unsold due to a combination of economic turmoil in Brazil and fears about the fear of Zika. Fears about the fear. To reassure international visitors, the Brazilian government has announced the chance of contracting a Zika infection during the Olympics is the same as winning the lottery. So please buy a ticket. Lottery ticket. Demand for Olympic tickets has been much weaker than expected for the premier track and field events. Good seats are available direct from the organizers for about 150 bucks. Spectators will see, uh, you know, marquee events. Seats for many lesser events on sale at 12 bucks. Even places for the opening ceremony available. So you don't want to be a ticket scalper in Rio. That's that's one thing you don't want to be, ladies and gentlemen. More career advice moments from now. But first, I'm going to read the trades for you. And this will get us back to that good news about extreme carelessness. But first, from Current, the trade publication and trade uh, website of public broadcasting, format shake-up proves effective for an Atlanta station. I'll read it for you. An adjustment to the playlist at Atlanta non-commercial jazz station WCLK three years ago has helped the station double its audience and hold on to new listeners. Prior to the changes, the station audience fundraising, fundraise, uh, audience and fundraising had stagnated, according to general manager Wendy Williams. Hosts were allowed to create their own playlists, which resulted in a fragmented mix of genres throughout the day. People change, cities change, demographics change, Williams said. Atlanta was growing at a fast pace and still is. The music we were playing reflected another time in the station's history. To combat this problem, the station had a researcher conduct a market study. The researcher tested 900 music samples with 200 Atlanta residents ages 25 to 64. The listeners favored smooth jazz artists like Anita Baker and contemporary jazz musicians like Donald Byrd and Diane Reeves. The station changed its playlist to highlight those genres to maintain consistency throughout the day. Hosts no longer chose their own music. 
This is non-commercial radio, ladies and gentlemen. At first, Williams and the station faced a backlash over the changes. There were online petitions. The local paper wrote a big story about it. I got threats. People are afraid of change. But a month later, listenership had spiked by 60%. That shut down critics immediately, said Williams. Try airing porn. The surge did taper off. But WCLK's market share did double within the first three months. Other factors that helped WCLK succeed in doubling its audience (laughs) include the fact that the competing jazz station dropped its jazz format, as well as WCLK expanding its signal coverage by moving towers. But no, it's the music. Stations need to ask what the people want, period, says Williams. And then give it to him over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Now, from Law Technology News, often as espoused as a virtue of modern e-discovery is the ability to conduct keyword searches across data sets to save time, money, and resources during the review process. However, in the FBI statement announcing the conclusion of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's private email server use, There was discussion of how Clinton's legal team's use of keyword searching may have resulted in the overlooking of documents relevant to the investigation. The statement, delivered by FBI Director Comey, noted that in 2014, lawyers sorting emails for the secretary relied on, quote, broader header information and used search terms in an effort to find all work-related emails. Comey said it's highly likely the search terms used had missed some work-related emails that were later found by the FBI. It's also likely that there are other work-related emails that they did not produce to state and that we did not find elsewhere that are now gone because they deleted all emails they did not return to state and the lawyers cleaned their devices in such a way as to preclude complete forensic discovery, he added. In its own review, the FBI employed a more traditional approach, reading every email. The debate about the different email search approaches used by the FBI and Clinton legal teams isn't new and it's not unique to this case said an e-discovery counsel and legal content director. Both the FBI decision to review every email in a linear manner and the Clinton team use of keyword searches have been standard procedure for many legal teams. But as more courts approve technology-assisted review, these debates may soon be a thing of the past. Yet some critics have strong opinions about keyword searching. James Barron, previously director of litigation for the National Archives and Records Administration, said last year the process of keyword searching is, quote, known to be fraught with limitations. If the lawyers had more than a few days to conduct a search, given the high stakes involved and the fact that only on the order of 30,000 emails with non-gov addresses remained to be reviewed, I would have imagined staff could have simply conducted a manual review of every document. Barron noted using keywords as a shortcut unfortunately leaves the process open to being second-guessed. Linda Sharp, Associate General Counsel at ZL Technologies, told Legal Tech News that in her opinion, and not that of her company, keyword searching is very common in the e-discovery process, but the investigation of Clinton looked at one single person's hard drive in a very specific, very limited time period. Generally, one uses technology, she says, to whittle down data sets, knowing they won't be 100% accurate. But this is different. This is one single hard drive in a very specific time period. I think absolutely reducing it down to that one single time period, they should have read every document, unquote. 
Comey didn't directly criticize Clinton's lawyers. He did suggest they'd been sloppy. This is according to Law.com. Williams and Connolly partner David Kendall had been Clinton's lead lawyer during the investigation. It's no stranger to high-stakes matters involving prominent clients. Last month, the firm was dealt a black eye when a federal judge in San Jose accused the firm of egregious conduct and threw out a $200 million patent infringement verdict it had won for its client, Merck. The judge faulted the firm for waiting too long to tell the court a key witness would be recanting his testimony. But at least they weren't extremely careless. A conclusion I can reach. I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of that uh, other candidate in what um, a spokesperson for Senator James Sass, Sassa of. Uh, well, a Republican senator who was in the somewhat contentious meeting in the Senate with Donald Trump this week, uh, the senator left the meeting and his spokesperson described, said, said the senator's not ready to endorse Donald Trump and described this year's election as, quote, a dumpster fire. We now learn uh, Wednesday, Trump had been had given a uh, fairly adventurous speech. Set of remarks, let's say, set of meandering observations on the world at large in Cincinnati, Ohio. And by his side was former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, who is, uh, of course, widely believed to be on uh, whatever length list Donald Trump has for his potential vice presidential candidates, running mates. Uh, Trump name checked Newt. Uh, I don't think they hugged, but but um, they were there together. But now, over the weekend, uh, the Washington Post reports that uh, in spite of saying he would go in the direction of wanting uh, a running mate who would satisfy Republican insiders, Trump is more open than ever to going with a non-politician. He's eager to rally the party around him but sees the convention and other parts of the campaign as integral. Trump Flynn, I've heard him say that, kind of test out the sound of it, one person said. I think it's a brand he finds appealing. Flynn is a um, general. His formal vetting by the Trump campaign was first reported by the New York Post. He did not deny he was under consideration. He said, I've been a soldier too long, he's retired from the Army, to refuse to entertain any request from a potential commander-in-chief. Wow. That opens the door. Trump is said to be understanding and open to the argument that he needs a seasoned governor or senator who could help the night to party, but he's slightly bored by the prospect of going with a traditional Republican. As a longtime celebrity, says the Washington Post, he's countered that advice with points about the need for surprise and star power. So General Flynn, well, surprise. He was on uh, ABC this morning and uh, reminded at least this observer of nobody so much as Admiral Stockdale. Look him up. 
But Trump, getting back to the Post article, is torn about whether his gut instincts should outweigh political calculation. I like the generals. I like the concept of the generals, Trump said Wednesday on Fox News. But but uh, there may be there may already be reaction on uh, on Trump's voicemail. Hello, uh, Mr. Trump. This is uh, Newt Gingrich. Newt, or uh, you like uh, apparently to call me the uh, Newtster, or as uh, Callista likes to call me the the Newtmaster. You know, she. Anyway, sorry, got a got a bit of a tangent there. Look, sir, just uh, calling to say what a wonderful time I had with you in Cincinnati the other day. What a great speech you gave, full of the kinds of profoundly remarkable twists and turns that have got our friends in the media totally and appropriately confused. It was a, 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 a thrill to be on the stage with you and feel that extremely powerful energy coming from the crowd. And I just wanted to let you know that if you think it's the right mix for your campaign, and I, I certainly hope that you do, I'm more than ready for a good four months more of that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the papers, sir, that, uh, that you think you may be leaning towards a, a, a military figure, a general, somebody a little bit more uh, outside the political circle for uh, the uh, running mate slot. Uh, but I just wanted to remind you that Callista and I have been about as completely outside the political circle as you can get once my little abortive world at, the, at, at presidential politics was completed. We've been, as you know, Minding our companies, which uh, you may not know, have had their their own brushes with certain uh, chapters of the bankruptcy laws, which interestingly just provides another channel through which our experiences, uh, yours and mine, may well resonate together. Uh, you know, and and I, I, I guess I guess the voicemail isn't going to hang up, so I guess I can revise and extend here a little bit. But uh, a general is not necessarily going to be the kind of person who can go down to Capitol Hill and translate the profoundly clear concepts that you have into the bizarrely arcane constructs that are lingua franca of that building under the dome. Uh, there aren't that many people who can offer you that uh, particular kind of insidey, outsidey positioning that a, uh, let's say, a Gingrich option might afford you. Obviously, Mr. Trump, and I, I did enjoy calling you Donald uh, just that once or twice in Cincinnati, but I hope you didn't think I was going to make a habit of that, and of course I did. Uh, get the briefings from your people on that subject as well. But I haven't found generals to necessarily be possessed of the kind of flexibility that I know you and and, and I think I bring to the table in any of these discussions. Uh, to put it in terms that uh, you as well as Deming and Drucker would certainly understand, they, uh, generals, operate in a, in a top-down management construct as opposed to uh, the center-out style. And uh, obviously, candidate not possessed of an innate strength and toughness might well, might well want to resort to a military figure to shore up that area of potential weakness, but uh, needless to say. But I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, you're not that candidate, and, and I, I do have to add before I hang up that uh, I thought we had a wonderful couple minutes talking about spirituality and sacrifice and redemption, and I'd certainly welcome the opportunity for more of that kind of conversation on the plane or the or the bus or wherever the campaign might take us. Obviously, there's much more to be said, but I don't think I'm the person to be saying it. So uh, let me just once again thank you for 
Cincinnati and to express the palpably sincere hope, Mr. Trump, that there's a lot more Cincinnati in our futures. Uh, Calista and I sending our love to Melania and to your wonderful sons as well. Uh, take very good care, sir. Hey, got to hang up now. Well, we all have those terrible days When you can't even make it out your own front door And life seems to get in your way And is it any wonder that sometimes It's easier to hide under the covers So when somebody calls you and they They say they understand It's like a hand across the water A hand across the water A sister, brother, father, mother, you are And you, you turn me around We all have those terrible times When you want something so bad Your insides ache And you try to eat your breakfast But there's tears on the flakes And is it any wonder That sometimes It's easier to cry than to recover Somebody calls you and they, they say you're not alone It's like a hand across the water A hand across the water And sister, brother, father, mother, you are
Somebody calls you the name. They say they understand. It's like a hand across the water. A hand across the water. And sister, brother, father, mother, you are all. And you, you turn me This is the show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Dateline South Bend, Indiana, St. Joseph County Republican Party officials have apologized to 4-H Club Fair officials and the public for a judicial candidate's behavior. They might officially unendorse him if the behavior continues. Republican Circuit Court Judge candidate Doug Bernacci was kicked out of the fair for how he acted in a dispute with a GOP booth volunteer. The county chairman, Roy Sands, invited news media to a press conference. After looking into the facts, he says, we believe the candidate behaved in a manner inconsistent with the expected behavior and values of the St. Joseph County Republican Party. Any comments made by the candidate in person or online are not reflective of the party, but are solely that of the candidate. Following the incident, Bernacci criticized the fair on social media, advising people to avoid it like the plague saying it's not a place for children and families because of seedy carnival workers and bad food. He told the um, South Bend Tribune he had not argued with anyone at the fair. The disturbance, he said, was created when he vomited it after eating some fudge and cotton candy that he bought there. However, witnesses said Bernacci had become angry because his name did not appear on a banner at the party's booth. The dispute escalated to the point where Bernacci's behavior had made adjacent vendors in the fairgrounds building uncomfortable, according to vendors and party officials. The uh, paper was unable to reach Bernacci for comment. His cell cell phone went to voicemail. He didn't return a text message. Chinese smartphone makers Huawei, Incorporated, have apologized for a photo it posted online to promote its latest P-series smartphone, P9, saying it was taken on a professional camera. The company posted the photo on its Google Plus, there's still Google Plus, page with a caption saying its device makes taking photos in low-light conditions like this a pleasure. According to reports, the image metadata showed that the photo was not taken with the phone, but with a Canon camera and equipment costing roughly $2,600. According to BBC reports, the original social media post said, we managed to catch a beautiful sunrise. This new device makes taking photos in low-light conditions a pleasure. In a statement, Huawei said, Huawei said the photo had been taken during the recording of an ad. We recognize, though, that we should have been clearer with the captions for this image. It was never our intention to mislead. We apologize for this. We've removed the image. Somebody's died. Microsoft may be trying a little too hard to identify with youth. When Microsoft sent out an email inviting San Francisco Bay Area interns to an exclusive party, 
He went on to explain the party would have hella noms and lots of dranks. The Microsoft University, is that a real university or is that like Trump? Recruiter who sent the email made clear her crew from headquarters in Seattle would be in attendance. The invitation found its way to social media and went viral. With ridicule, a spokesperson for Microsoft apologized for the attempt to identify with the younger audience, admitting that the email was poorly worded and not in keeping with our values as a company. (laughs) Companies have values? Sale time, maybe. Actress Misha Barton has apologized for her controversial Instagram post following the police shooting of Alton Sterling in uh, Baton Rouge. In the post, which Barton has since deleted, the actress is pictured standing on a boat in the ocean, holding a wine glass and wearing a bikini. The post's caption featured a heartfelt message about the shooting, but many found the contrast between the picture and the caption to be ill-advised and in bad taste. She apologized on Twitter, saying she didn't mean to offend anyone. I'm human. I'm not perfect. PBS came under scrutiny after airing previously recorded material during its a Capital Fourth broadcast on the 4th of July Monday. The annual program promised live footage of the fireworks celebration at the U.S. Capitol in Washington. Viewers in the D.C. area were quick to realize something wasn't quite right. The weather was unusually overcast for a July evening, but parts of the broadcast showed no signs of cloudy skies. After viewers pointed it out, PBS released a statement apologizing for the blunder because this year's fireworks were difficult to see due to the weather. We made the decision to intercut fireworks footage from previous A Capital Fourth concerts for the best possible television viewing experience. We apologize for any confusion this may have caused. On Twitter... PBS defended its decision, saying it was the patriotic thing to do. Live, on tape, from last thing. And now to the apologies stemming from the British report released this week into the causes and outcome of the Iraq War, the Chilcot Report. Britain broke international law when it invaded Iraq in 2003, according to Britain's deputy prime minister at the time, John Prescott, in the wake of that Chilcot report. uh, The report did not rule whether the war was legal. Prescott, writing in a newspaper, the Sunday Mirror, said he changed his view about the legality of the war and criticized then-Prime Minister Tony Blair for stopping his ministers from fully discussing in advance whether the war would be legal. I will live with the decision of going to war and its catastrophic consequences for the rest of my life, Prescott said. Labor Party leader Jeremy Corbyn apologized for the war on behalf of the party. And Tony Blair, his his own self, made a statement this week about the decision to go to war. For that decision today, I accept full responsibility. Without exception and without excuse. I recognize the division felt by many in our country over the war, and in particular, I feel deeply and sincerely in a way that no words can properly convey the grief and suffering of those who lost ones they loved in Iraq. Whether members of our armed forces, the armed forces of other nations, 
or Iraqis. The intelligence assessments made at the time of going to war turned out to be wrong. The aftermath turned out to be more hostile, protracted and bloody than ever we imagined. The coalition planned for one set of ground facts and encountered another. And a nation whose people we wanted to set free and secure from the evil of Saddam became instead victim to sectarian terrorism. For all of this, I express more sorrow, regret, and apology than you may ever know or can believe. Well, you got that right. The Chilcot report said, as to the issue of whether this could have been imagined, quote, the risks of internal strife in Iraq, active Iranian pursuits of its interests, regional instability, and al-Qaeda activity in Iraq were explicitly identified before the invasion, unquote. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast on the related subject. News from outside the bubble. Why did the Chilcot Report not rule come to a conclusion on the legality of the Iraq war? Well, the British government is refusing to release confidential advice its officials gave to then-Prime Minister Gordon Brown, who set up the inquiry, which made it impossible for Chilcot to rule on whether the war was illegal. The refusal, which flies in the face of an information tribunal ruling ordering the materials released, means the public cannot see what options were considered when deciding on the nature and the scope of the inquiry when it was established seven years ago. Chilcott was charged only with learning lessons from the disastrous invasion and was not able to declare whether it would have been illegal. That would have been available to a judge-led inquiry, a decision that could have been used by those calling for prosecution of government ministers and officials. The Chilcott inquiry's treatment of the legality of the war is curious, says Philippe Sands, an expert on international law at University College London. It claims not to have addressed legality, yet concludes the UK has undermined the authority of the Security Council and found the circumstances in which it was decided that there was a legal basis were far from satisfactory. We are entitled, he says, to know who took the decision to turn the inquiry away from matters of legal responsibility and why. That's from The Guardian. From The Telegraph, Tony Blair's company has asked for $35 million from an oil-rich Arab state to provide advice. The proposal with the United Arab Emirates Ministry of Foreign Affairs was worth almost $7 million a year. It was due to run for five years. Tony Blair Associates asked for professional fees of $6,210,000 a year and an almost $700,000 additional to cover annual expenses. For Tony Blair to advise the United Arab Emirates, a propo- proposal that was made at a time when he was still Middle East Peace Envoy. A furnished office was also to be paid for by the UAE's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, including phone bills. There's a big opportunity for the UAE to build its brand and reputation and to establish powerful networks of influence. Blair boasts of an extensive network he's built up that operates in 25 different countries. 
He goes on to say, if his work with the Tony Blair Faith Foundation is included, it would be over 50 countries. Adding, there is virtually nowhere in the world right now where we could not work or provide the necessary contacts, either politically or commercially, should we want to. Unquote. Since leaving the prime ministership, Blair has made a fortune estimated at up to $100 million through a series of connected companies. A mere month after leaving office, he flew to the UAE with talks with senior, for talks with senior officials and members of the royal family as Middle East Quartet Peace Representative. But a guy's got to eat. Careers are like lives. They can take surprising turns. What's up today can be down tomorrow. That's why you need to protect yourself and your family against those surprises. Hi, I'm one-time Middle East Peace Envoy Tony Blair, and I've got good news, which has not been massaged in any fashion. Now there's a way to ensure you and your family against an unforeseen downturn in your personal reputation and circumstances. It's rest-of-life coverage from Firehouse Insurance. Imagine, you and your family are enjoying the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. A lovely home, frequent trips to fascinating locales like Kazakhstan, a respected role as a facilitator of various things, when suddenly your whole world turns upside down. Your reputation in tatters. Your good name bespattered like a quack doctor on Yelp. That's where rest-of-life coverage can be your penumbra of protection. It's a policy which guarantees that no matter what some critic or commission may do to your standing in the local or global community, your stream of income will not shudder to an untimely halt. And for a slight additional premium, invitation assurance guarantees that not even your social life will be scathed by the slings and arrows of embittered fortune. And the cost for this invaluable protection? Just pennies an hour. Until recently, this guarantee of career and reputation continuation was only available to the most securely positioned leaders in third world countries. But now, thanks to Firehouse Insurance, third world protection is available in your world. And mine. But don't put off finding out about rest of life insurance. Damaging revelations can hit at any time, even when you're expecting them. So call the number on your screen, or just call your screen, and complete information on rest-of-life insurance will be in your inbox before you can say, Inbox. Your future is too important to be left up to you. Let my friends at Firehouse Insurance do it for you. They're doing it for me. Remember, it's not life insurance. It's rest-of-life insurance. Call now. And more about the new Iraq. This week, probably not known to many Americans, a, uh, a bomb exploded in uh, downtown Baghdad, killing 250 people. That was the largest mass killing in Baghdad, oh, in a week or two. And the United Kingdom, the, the uh, current government, has stepped up its criticism of U.S. conduct of the Iraq War. The British Foreign Secretary in the conservative government 
says the, the single most disastrous mistake was the mass removal of supporters of the Ba'ath Party from the Iraqi army, which he claimed led directly to the formation of the Islamic State. Philip Hammond said the move by head of the coalition provision of provisional authority, J. Paul Bremer, they dis- the decision to dismantle the country's army had proved a disastrous mistake, sending 400,000 unemployed soldiers with their weapons onto the streets. The uh, Chilcot report, it's, I believe the, uh, the word count has it as uh, longer than the Bible. So there's some Sunday reading for you. It uh, among all uh, 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 its numerous other findings and and conclusions and observations, it points out the the distribution in the most wanton way, not wanton, uh, by the Americans in the post-war period of uh, what it estimates to be about nine billion dollars. Uh, Iraq awash in that money with no accountability, according to the Chilcot Report, basically sent over in cash on planes. El Paul Bremer, arriving in Iraq. Had a little problem, tough not to crack. Had to 86 the army till the bureaucrats goodbye. He's running the whole country. How's he gonna get by? An aircraft packed with dollars, bills filling every seat.
Syria's in turmoil. Iran will not concede. Yanks need a persuader that's behind but still can lead. You can spend them, you can save them. You can send them to Belize. Won't make you love Americans, but they've got a way to please. One other little uh, detail: the uh, before the uh, invasion, about eight days before, Prime Minister Blair had an unexpected phone call from Rupert Murdoch. This, according to the Independent newspaper in London, the Chilcot report says there is no official record of the call in the Prime Minister's office, implying that Rupert Murdoch did not go through the official switchboard. According to the diary kept by Blair's spin doctor, Murdoch, quote, was pressing on timing, saying how News International would support us, etc. Both Tony Blair and I felt it was prompted by Washington, another example of their over-crude diplomacy, unquote. But, you know, that's... He was, he, he's, he was, he was against the war, wasn't he? Like, like Trump. Uh, news of the godly, very quickly, former singing priest Tony Welsh in Dublin, Ireland, faces a maximum sentence of maximum sentence of up to two years in prison for the offense of raping a boy with a crucifix, the court has heard. He committed the offense and two other rapes of the same victim before a new law came into effect in 1990, so the maximum penalty on each offense is two years. He forced the child to have sex in the parochial house in his parish and in a tunnel under a park. Walsh told the jury during the trial he never knew the boy and said he never assaulted him. The boy was between 10 and 13 years old at the time of the uh, offense. Walsh has 17 previous convictions from 1995 through last year for indecently assaulting young boys and one girl. Nice to uh, break it up a little bit. Walsh fought two trials and pleaded guilty to the other offenses. He's currently serving a sentence and is not due for release for another five years. So we've got we've all got five years to uh, celebrate. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this weekend's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it, at harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com, available as a free podcast from SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, tunein.com, iTunes, and wwno.org. And it'd be just like this next week, not starting with the 4th of July, if you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO in New Orleans, now running at zero for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, yes, there's still email. I read it. The playlist of music heard here on and your once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, all at harryshare.com. And, yes, I read my Twitter feed, too, at the Sharer. comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. Ask the listeners what they want. So long from New Orleans. <laughs>